What is going on, everybody? My name is Eldar Basic, and you are listening to Eldar Talks Games Industry. Today, I am joined by the venerable Vaughn Hyde. Uh, Vaughn, how are uh, how are you doing today? I'm pretty great. I mean, it's kind of like a fantastic uh, time to enjoy video games. At least I don't know. I was gonna say be a, it's a great time to be alive, but it's not. Uh, this year ultimately blows. But I'm playing The Last of Us 2, uh, Part 2, and it's fantastic. Playing some Destiny on my PC. Just stuff's going well, for for me at least. Not everyone else, but yeah, it's nice. <laughs> Do you, are, you still, are you still playing games on the same, like, tick? Or has your state kind of, like, calmed down with, like, the coronavirus and stuff? Um, I pretty much on it. Okay, it's so weird. The coronavirus actually hasn't necessarily, like, it itself hasn't affected my playing of video games whether lessened or like increased it um because like my hours got cut back for a little while at work but then now it's back to normal um the only way i guess is like a a side effect of the coronavirus was my video game time has dwindled because i started so many things Hmm. because i had more time and now i have way less time and i still do those things so it's like kind of weird so i started like two other podcasts and i started doing this with you and all sorts of stuff and now i'm like i don't got any time to play games <laughs> well this one this this particular podcast i don't feel like you're um like i don't feel like the buy-in is necessarily as harsh because with um your my hero academia uh watch along podcast you know you have to make the art and you have to edit and you have to promote and it's so much so, so like at least at least with industry it's a little lighter on the foot i would say yeah industry has to be like one of i mean indie pod is like my darling it's the it's always going to be the one i love the most because it's like the first yeah. successful podcast i created yeah it's it's my passion project um but industry is like one of my favorites because i just get to pop up and i get to talk to my friend about weird like video game topics it's just fun and i don't have to do much for it it's like the other podcasts that i do i have to do a lot to set them up um and in this one i don't really i Mm -hmm. just have to like show up i get to be that guy i guess (laughs) (laughs) which i'm so envious about and i love that man and i love you so let's get on into it and talk about the weird topic that you just kind of brought up like i think like 15 seconds ago and it's a topic where i don't i don't really think i've seen this too much in popular games media or journalism but it's a full-blown what we're we're having today is a full-blown discussion on 100 plus hour video games and it's something that because right before the show i was asking like you know what do you think the best way to open it up is and i think it'd be cool just to kind of have like a discussion on like, why are we having these games now where we they are they take 100 to 200 hours to play, but we're adults now with not that much time. And whenever we were younger in our childhood, the longest game was like 70 hours, which was Final Fantasy VII. And then, it, you know, slowly but surely they would get longer. But now that we have all this time, we're adults and we don't have the time to play um, uh, Persona 5 and stuff like that. You know, it, it was the same way with you growing up. Like you didn't, you had all the time in the world and now maybe you don't have that much time. What's so depressing about it is like when I was a kid, I did have all the time in the world. But what I actually think about, it, I'm like, I didn't really, I should have been doing my homework or something, but I wasn't. <laughs> and I'm so depressed with myself because of it. But yeah, when you're a kid, you just have so much extra time to sink into video games. Like, that's that's how I put so many hours into games like uh, the the Fable series, which we'll talk about in a little while. And, like, ba- that's how I beat so many games when I was a kid. And now that I'm an adult, I'm like, I rarely beat a game. I almost never do. I'll pick them up and I play them for a decent amount of time. But then, like, something else catches my eye or I've got to leave to go to work. Just, like basically life happens and then i never get back to it uh so like i would say if i have a hundred games in my backlog probably like five of them i've actually completed and it's pretty like i've played probably a hundred games but five of them are likely to get complete so, so like you and i are completely on the opposite end of that spectrum i have uh, <laughs> a myriad of apps i use just to like collect 
and like store my backlog. So like right now I have three games in my backlog, three games are gonna get done, and I have a wish list of games coming up that I will eventually add to my backlog to play, which sounds insane. <laughs> yeah, what I thought was so insane was I was like, I messaged you and I was like, hey, did you get The Last of Us Part 2? Because it's like the biggest game right now. I mean, arguably one of the largest games out there right now. And you're like, nah, and then we hop on. You're like, I'm playing Nier Automata. I'm like, what are you doing? But it's cool to <laughs> it's cool to hear that you're like, no, I'm just and I don't mean this in a mean way because oh. I can see how this would sound mean. Right. But you're like, no, I'm just really anal retentive about my backlog. I'm going to beat a game before I start another. <laughs> yep, that's 100% it, man. I'm 1,000% disciplined when it comes to like, because uh, right now I have Remnant from the Ashes, Nier Automata, and Okami HD. And dude, I haven't touched Resident Evil 3, Doom Eternal, Last of Us, Final Fantasy Remake. They're on the list and I'll get to them in like a year, but I'll get to I them eventually. And I have such the, hardcore respect for your like your your ability to actually like play these games and finish them because I I just don't I have like video game ADHD I'm just always like on to the next. I think there are two types of of gamers and I think you're that type I'm this type and it's fifty fifty split and I bet I bet uh, I bet money that if we could we would switch personalities on like how we play games. 100%. Because <laughs> I don't want this. I want to, uh-huh. I just, I want to just be able to play whatever I want to play. But no, I have to meticulously track it and it's a hell. <laughs> you know what so. also kind of sucks is like when you do, and I and I know this is kind of just like a tirade and stuff, but when I, like for IndiePod, I constantly want to make sure I have like different indie games to talk about and different indie games to spotlight. So I basically like hop on mm. there and I play an indie game for a week, roughly, because that's it's just like a weekly show. And then once that week, like the episode mark hits, then I stop playing that game and I go on to the next because I'm like, I just constantly want to have that cycle. So I have new content to talk about. Do you find yourself since indies are notoriously shorter, right? So like a long indie game is something like Hollow Knight and that tracks at like 30, 25, 30 hours. And that's considered like super long for an indie game. Do you think with your like week um, cycle, you end up finishing games or not really? Um, I, I still have like video game ADHD, but no, I do. I finish some games. It kind of depends. Like um, if found, I, I recently I'm, I'm going to finish it. I haven't actually finished it yet, but it's only like three or four mm -hmm. hours. Um, and I believe uh, if found is by Dream Feels, if anybody wants to check it out. But it's like a visual novel, and it's only like uh, between like two, three, four hours. Uh, and it's it's a really interesting game that I like a lot. And it's just entirely based on story. There's not a whole lot of gameplay in it. But then you run into like I'm playing Colt cool. Canyon right now for IndiePod. And it's like a Western theme roguelike. And I'm like, there's no way I'm gonna beat this fucking game because I suck at games. And like roguelikes take forever. Yeah, they do. They do. Um, no, that, that game you just threw out looks pretty cool. Um, I guess I have an indie recommendation. It's called Jet Lancer. Um, it was published by Armor Games and was developed by Vladimir Fedushkin and Code Wakers. And it is kind of like, I think you should check it out for IndiePod maybe. Um, or I don't know if you already know about it, but it's kind of like this 2D, 3D uh, jet game, but it's really like really colorful and really pretty and looks really hard. It's kind of like a bullet hell, but almost not really. It's 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 classified as a high velocity aerial combat shooter, and I know we've seen that a bunch, especially back in like the Sega Genesis like days. But this one looks pretty cool, so I would definitely recommend that. Yeah, but I agree. It is not I'm looking at it long. right now. <laughs> yeah, it is, it is not hundred hours long and. The topic of today's show was actually inspired um, not too long ago. I was talking with my girlfriend, who is a uh, who's a, she is a Twitch streamer at uh, Twitch.com/slash Valentina Place, and I think maybe about a week or two ago, we were talking about Skyrim, and um, she didn't get Skyrim. I think she got Skyrim last night, and. I started thinking like that is a buy-in, right? Because you and I, the first game on our 100-hour list is The Elder Scrolls V, Skyrim. And we both put in over 100 hours. And I think most people that play that game, whether through, I guess, expectation or like the pull of adventure, kind of just put in that 100 hours of gameplay. Uh, I think on PS3, between PS3 
and PS4. I may have played it about 120 hours. And I noticed that you did the same thing with Oblivion too. So I think, what was it initially that kind of like drew you to Skyrim? And if you can, tell us why exactly, what made you play over 200 hours of Elder Scrolls content? Uh, what, draw, what drew me to Skyrim was honestly my love for Oblivion, uh, because I had initially like played Oblivion when the 360 first came out at like a friend's house. And then years later, when I eventually got a 360, I played way more Oblivion. But Skyrim itself, I honestly, I remember seeing the like the trailers for it and seeing dragons, like legitimate dragons, not like something that... Oh, yeah. lands on the ground and you get to fight and it's like okay that's kind of boring even though i do love that because like dragon age has many of those kinds of battles but skyrim has like aerial fights with dragons where they're going through the sky and you have to use shouts to pull them to the ground or you just have to wait for them to land or shoot them with a bow i thought that was so cool um that's what kind of like made me want to play it so badly and also just my love for oblivion and the elder scrolls games in general but then what kept me in that world, honestly, I guess has to be like the it's like quest structure and it's world building. I just love that so much. I love delving into deep dungeons and however much like it's combat is very easy. It's also very fulfilling in a weird way where I always play like a stealth archery build and it's basically just like a glass cannon. Like, I can kill anything. As long as they don't touch me, I can literally obliterate them in, like, two arrows. So it's not hard at all. Um, and I just... I loved delving deep into these different dungeons and finding all of this, like, miscellaneous, like, treasures and stuff like that. And then when they came out with the Hearthfire DLC, I took all that and I made my house and I just, like, threw it in there. It's basically just, like, a hoarding... Like, it's just my, I'm, I'm like freaking smile just sitting on my pile of treasure at home. And it's fucking awesome. <laughs> I honestly, I love it so much. Um, Skyrim is one of those games that like, I feel weird that I've bought it on so many consoles. If I'm being honest, like I had it on 360 and then I bought the, uh, like the game of the year edition, which comes with all the DLC on PS3. And then I also bought the special edition on PS4. And technically, I also have this special edition on Xbox One. It's like, I just need to stop buying this fucking game because I'm the problem. But I honestly, it's like, it's almost ineffable how much I love Skyrim and why exactly I do. Because it's just, it's very special. It has like a, it has a weird feel to that world where it's, it's a mix between this kind of like, I, I guess, in a sense, like a small bit of Norse mythology because you're in the home of the Nords, who are, I'm fairly certain, based on um, like Vikings and, and Norsemen. But then also, like, you have that, that mix of like real fantasy elements where you have like uh, creatures like the Khajiit and um, like the Argonians and elves and this political struggle between the. Um, basically like the empire and the Stormbloods, i believe um i'm not 100 percent sure i might have honestly forgotten their names it's like either stormborn or stormblood something like that but i think it was just, stormborn stormborn yeah i'm i'm honestly not sure at this point because like i i would have to say the political struggle like quest is honestly not that interesting like when you actually get into it because you oh they're storm cloaks that's what they're called um Ah, but, dang it. Yeah, because it's Ulfric Stormcloak. I just remembered that. Uh, but once you get into the lore of Skyrim and you actually, like, you realize that it's not at all the way you think. Like, it's basically a choice between the Empire and the Aldemiri Dominion, even though you're choosing the Stormcloaks, because it turns out that Ulfric Stormcloak is a puppet for the Aldemiri Dominion. It's, like, super weird. So I guess the thing... Now that I've actually kind of talked this out, like you're my therapist, the thing that basically makes me love Skyrim so much <laughs> is that, like, that hardcore dense lore that exists within it that make it seem like a real built world. I, I don't know. Why did you love Skyrim so much? You also spent so much time in it. We, I think you and I experienced Oblivion in Skyrim in the opposite but intended ways. Because while I didn't really, 
I feel like I didn't really get super pulled into the lore itself. I got pulled into like the gameplay loop. And I noticed that you said you played a glass cannon. Good use of the actual um, glass cannon verbiology. But um, <laughs> no, I, I played it very like, um, like my character was, he was like a tank and he was a Khajiit, he was a strong Khajiit. And while you enjoyed going down into the dungeon, exploring, which is really fun, um, I really, really like the open world structure of that game to the point where I think a lot of my gameplay after the campaign and the four major um, houses, I guess, or quest lines in both of those games was just spent wandering and hunting dragons. And I mean, it's really just, it's really the ideal RPG game mechanic loop, right? You can go into cities, which kind of, you know, some of them looked a little similar to others, but then you would go to like, the mage um castle i forgot what it's called college of winter college i think it was the college of winterhold showing me up with your skyrim knowledge but yeah no (laughs) just like the location like especially because i think when oblivion came out i don't think i had played anything quite like it i mean that game launched in 2005 every game i had played before that because i didn't play morrowind because i didn't have an xbox and i wasn't a fucking nerd um (laughs) everything i played before that was level based on PS2, you know, stuff like Ratchet and Clank and Devil May Cry didn't, didn't really get fully exposed You didn't play Elder Scrolls Arena? What? That's outrageous. Didn't play Elder Scrolls. No, me and the rest of the American population did not play the Elder Scrolls Arena. <laughs> and so Oblivion came out. And I remember, I think I remember seeing like, it's like a gameplay, like collage of all the games that were coming out on the Xbox 360. And you know, you had your Project Gotham Racing 3, you had cameo, elements of power, perfect dark, and then oblivion, right? And so when that came out, you know, I went out and got an Xbox. I saw the beautiful like blade dashboard, which I missed so much. And I started playing oblivion because it reminded me of um, this game called Eternal Ring on PS2. But I didn't know that oblivion was this open thing. And when I found out that like, when I got out of like the prison and uh, was it, the, it was the sewers of the prison, as soon as I left, and everything was open, my jaw dropped, like actually dropped when I was like 14 years old. I was just like, wait, I can go anywhere? And I could go anywhere. And a hundred hours or so later, when I killed the Daedra dude, I kept playing because I just thought it was fun to just walk around. It was that simple. Like I didn't really get super into the lore because I was so fascinated with just like the open world structure of it all. And then that immediately translated over to Skyrim. I also understand like you you feeling like uh, you having the different uh, viewpoint than I do when it comes to like these games where you instead are are big into like the open world exploration where I'm into like dungeon delving because especially in Skyrim it's it's apparent in in Oblivion as well but in Skyrim just walking around you can stumble into the weirdest stuff that is just so interesting and fleshed out. Like there's the headless horseman that just randomly travels between white run and like his grave basically. And you can, you can stumble across like it makes it feel so lived in because you can stumble across just like random, uh, random like homestead. I think it was like Yorkshire or something like that. Um, or no, it's Rorikstead. That's what it's called. Yorkshire. I'm pretty sure is like, like a meat brand or something. But uh, Rorik said, where you can stumble across it and there's an NPC who, like, he wants to be uh, an adventurer. He wants to go out and he wants to fight and become, like, a great warrior like you are. And you, he asks you to convince his father to let him go. And if you just, like, he can become your companion, which is really cool. But if you just let him go, you can then later run into him randomly throughout the world. And he's just, like, has new armor on. And he's like actually become an adventurer and he's he's traveled the world just like you. So it just feels so lived in and amazing. So I absolutely understand why just like walking around the open world is so cool for you. Yeah, man, I, I really loved it. That translated over pretty quickly to a lot of games just that I've played in like the last 10 years. Um, but you know what? It's interesting because I think I kind of lost that fire a little bit because games like Assassin's Creed Odyssey and Origins um, and, you know, after GTA 5, that was the last like open world, you know, game I played that was set in like an urban environment. And I don't know, I guess I don't really have that need anymore to 
explore like giant open areas. Like I kind of like more condensed um, areas now in games. And I, I don't know. Do you, do you feel the same way about that too? Do you, are you playing like a lot of open world games? Like I know Ghost of Tsushima, Ghost, Ghost of Tsushima is coming out in less than a month, but I mean, it's open. I don't know if I'm really excited about it. Honestly, um, yes and no. Like I, I play open world games, but if I'm being honest, I don't feel, I, I don't think they feel the same. Um, like how mm-hmm. I talked about like running into this, this random kid who wants to be a knight and like me just convincing his dad mm-hmm. is completely random and you can just randomly run into him later on. I feel like in a lot of open world games, like nowadays you don't get to have that random experience. Like they, they say they feel lived in because you're seeing how these people supposedly live their lives, but really like, yeah honestly like nowadays in open world games it just feels so scripted in a weird way it doesn't feel like anything could happen instead it feels like you are guaranteed to stumble across this blank slate boring person who's just like i need medicine because i tripped and some bullshit like that it just it doesn't feel lived in the worlds don't feel real to me for some reason like playing assassin's creed odyssey i was like dude what's the point like honestly the, I didn't find the gameplay like that exciting because once again, I went glass cannon. I basically just invested in the abilities that allowed me to shoot people in the head with my bow and just basically nuke them. And like everything else just didn't feel real to me. I guess there's like that disconnect. I don't know. Maybe it was like, maybe I was just so much more like gullible as a kid or like willing to believe in these worlds when I was younger. But I don't even know if that's true because I still play Skyrim and I think it's amazing. So I feel like the opportunity to stumble into um, something that not every player sees is kind of what makes Skyrim and Oblivion pre stand out, right? In the realm of like open world RPG. Because, and correct me if I'm wrong, and I'll tell you right now with Fallout 4, one of the games that I did put 100 hours into but is not on the list, that I sent you earlier, in games like Fallout New Vegas, I'm not 100% sure if in those games you kind of were able to really stumble into too much like randomly generated content. Was it like that in New Vegas? Um, uh, yes and no. It's it's pretty scripted, to be honest. I, I kind of like New Vegas for different reasons. Um. I just, I honestly yeah. enjoy the way it makes me feel like this weird kind of like desperado, but I also get that like sci-fi feel. Um, I guess I'm just looking for something different when I run into a game that has guns in it, <laughs> in a sense, because like, yeah. I, I don't know when it comes to a fantasy element, I'm looking for adventure. Whereas when it comes to like something like a fallout game where it has like, it has guns and it's very sci-fi influenced and stuff like that. In those, I'm just like, I just want to be like, I want to be John Wick. I want to be a badass. I just want to like light people up and save uh, like strangers from bandits and stuff like that. I don't know. Um, I I don't know. I, I think there's just kind of something special about Bethesda's games that uh, their worlds as feel real. Which is, yeah, yeah. Um, I'm I'm not exactly sure. It's like like I said, it's kind of ineffable. It's just I can't put it into words how they make me feel, which kind of sucks because it's a podcast. They're really good at <laughs> I know, but they're really they are really good at giving the player agency. I gotta say that they are really good at that. But moving on, um, a game in the same vein that's not open world that you had on your list was Fable. Uh, I'll just call it the Fable series. It's kind of hard to imagine that you put a hundred plus hours into Fable because statistically speaking the first fable is around nine to ten hours fable 2 is maybe 14 hours and fable 3 is 13 hours ish for the main campaign that leaves about 70 hours of free roam in fables worlds and i i kind of i'm super curious like how did you how did you squeeze that much out of fable (laughs) dude i feel like you just missed out or something if you're only playing fable for 10 hours like you're just mainlining the the you're just going on the main quest that's outrageous you need to like maybe it's me yeah yeah i don't know like the thing i loved one of the things i love that happens in every fable game but three because three sucks balls is 
They, um, hey, I know, I, uh, yeah, there are people who love three. I'm just kidding. It, it doesn't suck balls, it's just three. not my favorite. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> hey, if you feel like it sucks, it sucks. It's fine. No, it, it doesn't suck. It just, it was a departure that I didn't enjoy, mainly from the weapon system. Um, that's like the only thing that I wasn't a huge mm -hmm. fan of in Fable 3, but the once you get done with the main quest in fable there are also like a whole bunch of like side quests there are like uh the crucible in fable 2 the arena um which technically you have to do the arena in fable to to just go on but there are also like um True. the archery contests and the collecting of like legendary weapons and stuff like that it's like so so interesting and finding out how to do so and then fable has so much replay value because you play through it once as like a good morality person a good alignment person and then you try the exact opposite where you go through and you just like kill villagers and you like steal shit and you fart on people and you do like the weirdest stuff you, you just become an chickens. asshole yeah yeah you can kick chickens and there's just so much and then <laughs> with the the fable of the lost chapters expansion they added so much more that was weird like they added the the chicken kicking contest which is like so odd and unnecessary but it's so fun because they say there's some sort Super of amazing yeah they say there's some sort of amazing grand prize and then once you win it it's like a chicken head um but honestly mm -hmm. i think it was like <laughs> i remember that yeah, I treat Fable games as like kind of a collectathon in a way where I just literally like I collect everything. I try to get all of the legendary weapons. I try to get all the armor types. I try to get all the spells. I basically just try to like not even min max my character, just max him out because I want to be this like hulky dude that also has the most mana humanly possible and also like can shoot a bow and just literally take your head off. I don't know. I, I think I played Fable and Fable 2 so much more than I guess the average person would because I was so obsessed with finding everything that Albion had to offer. Um, I, I don't know. And like Fable 2 also changed up its spell system, how you could mix spells together. And I thought that was so cool. So I always tried to test out different like gameplay styles where like one, I would play like a Reaver-esque character where I would go hardcore into ranged combat and I'd get basically like a Gatling gun of a pistol. And then another, I would like have the like <laughs> the worst sword in the game for like the majority, like the worst weapons in the game, but the largest mana pool humanly possible and every spell just completely like ready in my, in my like grimoire basically. So I could just obliterate everyone with like, uh, like lightning storms and summon like skeletons and stuff like that and hobs. Um, I don't know. Like Fable was something I played as a kid that I didn't have a lot of games. Like my dad bought me a like I was like hardcore middle class when I was a kid. Um, my parents like they could like quote unquote get us anything, but they, it would take a while. So like I couldn't always get okay. new video games. So when I did, um, my dad bought me like uh, an Xbox and a uh, Nintendo GameCube for Christmas. And I got both of them. And Fable was one of the games that I got for my Xbox. I just like sunk every bit of my free time into that game. And then like later on when they put out the Fable the Anniversary, which is just basically an amazing like remaster of that game and its DLC, I did the exact same thing over again because it's just like, it's addictive and it has this really like, this like kind of this sweet nostalgia to it. It's it's kind of like when you, when you have something as a kid and it tastes so like delicious and stuff like that, you have like your favorite candy as a kid and you never have it again until you're an adult and you like bite into it and you kind of like are transported back to a time when you didn't have to worry about paying your bills and shit like that. Like that's how it feels when I play Fable. So I just, I get stuck and I just play it over and over again doing everything. I feel that. I understand, I understand exactly how that feels. Um, with uh, this, I guess it's interesting because I don't remember playing Fable that much, but I remember playing Fable 3 a lot. 
Fable 1, I, for whatever reason, didn't click with me. Fable 2, I recognize that it's fantastic, but maybe I wasn't in the right headspace for it. But hey, Fable 3 was the one that got me. I, I beat that game three times <laughs> over. And I don't, I, I don't know what it is about that game. So I get what you're saying. Like, Fable is, if not for its lack of, like, really precise gameplay and, like, high-quality, high-bar gameplay, the freedom that um, Lionhead gives you, that it gives the player, and the nostalgia factor, being one of the Xbox's, like, flagship games, like, one of, you know, it was, like, Fable and Halo. That's how people remember the Xbox, right? So seeing, like, how that game has aged is really cool because everybody wants another fable again and it, i mean because the original team split up and peter molyneux isn't really anywhere to be found in AAA gaming anymore it's interesting because we'll probably never see a fable for from that original team i would really love to see a new one though personally yeah i think it's uh rumored to be fable 4 is rumored to be in development by the same people who made the forza horizon games i forget what their yeah. name I, I saw that rumor it's kind of tough to follow just because it's so ambiguous right now but we'll just we'll cross our fingers um so I, if you can't tell I'm, I'm kind of going down the list based off not only genre but like theme of the game so if we're jumping from fable the next game that i would like to talk about is it, it's kind of in the same if, if they were to take place in their own timelines they would probably mix pretty well but the witcher 3 um I, i'll talk about this game a little bit and why i think it's interesting because it was the last 100 plus hour game I did play, right? So it's my last touch point on really, really long open world games. And I kind of had a very similar experience to The Witcher 3 that I did playing Oblivion because The Witcher 3 world feels so lived in and real. And there was something really cool about how differentiated the three worlds were, but it did have one thing that Oblivion and Skyrim were missing, like, dearly, right? And it is the inclusion of an actual main character. Geralt and, like, everything he goes through and the, the, the way the game feels like the capstone for a trilogy. You know, I think the game came out in 2015, and I got around to it, let's say, at the end of 2019, right? Kind of earlier what we were saying, how, like, I get into games really late. And it's true, I do. Because while, you know, four years of listening to everybody talk about the game, I thought, okay, now it's time. Now I'll finally play it. Let's go ahead and jump on in. And my coworker let me borrow his copy, and I'm really glad he did, because it was a really easy game to lose 110 hours to. Right? Yeah, and I absolutely And it was really special, agree. and I don't want to spoil anything. Yeah. Did you, did you ever get a chance to experience it? The Witcher 3? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I've, I've, uh... It's another one of those games that I've sadly sunk a lot of time into, but never actually beaten it. But um, mm -hmm. no, I have I've played a lot of The Witcher Three, and um, I honestly enjoy it a lot. You, what is your favorite thing about The Witcher Three? Like, if there's, I guess the the if there's one pinpoint thing that you can think about that you would do in The Witcher Three, like your one gameplay mechanic or. You're like one mini game. Like, do you like playing Gwent? Do you like doing any of that kind of stuff? Or are you a big like uh, the actual like Witcher quests? Like, what what would you say is your favorite part of that game? The favorite part of The Witcher Three for me was well, I guess there's there's two favorite parts, right? In the plot, the um, the actual plot itself follows a very gift of the goddess tropey. Um, I don't mean negatively tropey kind of um, structure very similar to Lord of the Rings where in the beginning of the game you are given like a big piece of bread and then breadcrumbs that kind of lead you to the end with very well uh, implemented uh, bosses enemies that you love to hate and there's a ton of betrayal and there's love interests and everyone has everyone has their purpose that they're doing um, and everyone has it's not all structured around Geralt and I really really like that in a plot because it means everyone kind of had their own thing, right? Yennefer had her goals that she was trying to accomplish, which were, which ended up being super similar. And then, um, and I don't think I'm spoiling anything, but in the quest line, The Last Wish, you saw Geralt and Yennefer experience and try to unravel and untangle what their relationship was in a very, very realistic way. And the story I like to tell with this is you're given two choices, right? After the 
curse of the genie is lifted. And so now Yennefer and Geralt have their own decision to make whether or not they want to stay together, right? They don't have like this curse that kind of keeps them together. And my first decision, I had Geralt leave her behind. And he went off and he, I basically dumped Yennefer. And I sat there on the couch for like 10 minutes playing the game. And I felt like the game was ruined. I was like, what is happening? I had to reload and pick the other option because the game no is way. in such a way. I, I kid you not. I kid you not. I'm a Triss boy, dude. Triss Marigold to the day I die. That's fine. That's fine. Like they're, <laughs> they're both perfect choices. That's the thing. They're both perfect choices. But I felt like dumping Yennefer was the wrong decision. I've replayed the last 15 minutes of the game, thank God, for a really good auto checkpointing. And obviously... The first thing that I like the most about it is the actual Witcher quest. You nailed it. Um, I really, really, really loved um, hunting stuff. I don't know. Which is kind of why I also put in 150 hours into Monster Hunter World. And that is a whole other that is a whole other addicting ball game. Um, that game has a very addictive loop. It's not very explorative. It's very beautiful. But it's very different from The Witcher 3. Which is, you know, like I, like I was saying, it's completely open and it has really good guidelines for the player it's really well structured um and it's very different than what a lot of people consider are good open world games because the witcher 3 i think holds the player's hand just like with the right amount of touch because i don't i don't think i ever felt lost in the game because i always knew where i was going next but it was just ambiguous enough that I wouldn't really know what to predict in the story. And I think above all, like The Witcher's story was movie quality. And that's why like, I love it so much. Yeah, I, I would definitely agree that the like, honestly, one of the reasons that I loved uh, the the sections of The Witcher where you actually get to do Witcher contracts and like Monster Hunter World is a very similar reason. And it's because like, in games, typically you're thrust into situations like just randomly like they you don't have to prepare for them. You just like it's it's not like the suicide run in Mass Effect where, you know, it's coming up. So you like, oh, I've got to prepare. I've got to buy all this stuff like that typically doesn't happen. Instead, you just stumble across uh, these weird like plot threads and these weird scenarios to go into. Whereas in these specific quests in The Witcher and in Monster Hunter World, you have to actually prepare for encounters. You're like, I know what I'm going into. So I have to like in the Witcher, you have to like use certain oils on your blades and you have to prepare like certain potions uh, and stuff like that. And in, in uh, I don't know. Really? You did you not do that or did you just like run no. right into him? I think I think I played that game on normal and hard. And I think you're right about Monster Hunter World, the actual design of the pre fight like sections are in a way like that you actually have to go prepare but i don't feel like i ever had to actually do it in the witcher i feel like Geralt was really really overpowered throughout most of the game is a weird because i do well i feel he was really overpowered with like that automatic spell he has automatic shield spell and like you know the fire and all that um i never really felt like i was challenged in that game but i always felt like i was really poor in that game i never was rich in it i know that much <laughs> <laughs> I just like sold everything. Like I, I always had like a shitload of weapons, so I would just gather all the weapons and then go sell them all. And I'd just be rich, like on a pile of corpses. Basically, I was just a warmonger. Like that's not that's my Geralt. <laughs> and I wasn't I wasn't a huge fan of Gwent. I even tried playing like the app side version of Gwent, like the desktop versions. I just couldn't really get into it. I think if the development team at CD Projekt Red had more time and more, I guess, resources before shutting Gwent down, they could have made something really great, but I feel like the design of the actual thing is not all there. But you know what was there in the form of a card game that took up way too much of my time? <laughs> and Hearthstone. That was ridiculous. And we're actually gonna do something special um, for the first time because I put Hearthstone down on my list uh, as a game that I played 100 plus hours because I'm fairly confident I did. But before we started recording, I Googled if there was a way to look up how much you, uh, how much time you've actually put into Hearthstone. And no longer is it gonna be a guess. We're gonna find out today. It's a five step calculation that I'm gonna do live. And it's gonna be a ton <laughs> of fun. I have Hearthstone open. You can look at the number of wins online 
and um, multiply that number by two. So I have 177. Please note, this doesn't include any single player, which is maybe like 10 or so hours, because I only played this game against other people. Anyway, I have 177 wins, which doesn't sound like a lot, but consider this. I have to multiply that number times seven. No, wait, sorry. I have to multiply that number by two or so, which is a 50% win rate. I feel like I've won at least 50% or, or not, um, but if I multiply my 177 wins, by two, I have the number 354. If I multiply that number by seven, because that is the average minutes of game, I have technically played, hold on, I have, if I divide it by 50, I'll get my number of hours played Hearthstone. And that is 109 hours wow. and 56 cents. So we were 100, 100% right, 100 hours. That's outrageous. So, I don't know how said, I keep getting on podcasts with people who love card games. It's a little weird. I think I attract. I noticed that you. I love card games from Hearthstone to Room Terra. I love them. But I noticed you don't like them that much. I'm learning something about you today. Um, I'm. I just don't have a real strategic mind, which is so weird because I actually like. I don't play a lot of card games in video game form, but I actually play a lot of Yu-Gi-Oh, or at least I did for a long time. That's awesome. Okay. Okay. Um, that's one of my coronavirus um, guilty pleasures that I've recently discovered is YouTube Yu-Gi-Oh box on, on openings. Really? So no way. They're yeah. so awesome. Like opening yeah, booster I, uh, boxes. Yeah, man. I, I, there's this guy. Well, I follow a couple guys on, uh, on YouTube, but I randomly stumbled upon um, this YouTube content creator called Simply Unlucky. And I watched like a hundred of his videos and it was super addicting. <laughs> it's it's super fun. And then I've bought some like Yu-Gi-Oh packs recently too. I'm kind of into it right now. If only we lived in the same place, we could play. <laughs> Technically there's like dual uh, oh, links you, and stuff you, like you that. Play physically? Like you can play online. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I have a deck. I, I have battle I, I think, I, think uh, I think a time will come. I think a time will come when I, I come visit or you come visit and then we can totally play a bunch of Yu-Gi-Oh together. <laughs> I love how we sound like children. <laughs> we do. That's fine. No, we, we love the things we love. And speaking of loving the things we love, um, you have Destiny and Destiny 2 on this list. And before we were recording, I, you, you had proposed to tell me the number of hours you spent on Destiny and Destiny 2 cumulatively. I said no. Tell me on air. So if you'd like, you can tell me now, but I'm guessing it's over 300 hours for sure. Uh, so that's that's your guess is 300 hours accumulatively between destiny and destiny 2 you think between both under, games I'm I've only played 300 <laughs> oh god yeah see the only in the sentence kind of <laughs> gives it away um, okay so I'm guessing you've played 300 or so of destiny 1 and let's say a paltry 500 in destiny 2 for 800 total hours that is interesting. I have actually played less Destiny 2 than I have D1 because I, I got really, oh. really into Destiny 1 when it was originally out. Okay. Like, I was in the loop every week. Like, every, I think it's like Tuesday when Weekly Reset was. Oh, I had a fire team. We got on. We played. Um, I was exotic hunting like no other. We would solo raids. Oh like, God. I was super into Destiny. Um, my accumulative time in Destiny One is over 500 hours by itself, and I have a I have very close to the exact same amount in Destiny Two. Oh, so you're almost at a thousand hours? Yeah, of the Destiny franchise. Yeah, I'm a big Destiny fan. I'm yeah. I honestly See, that's what I thought. I I adore that universe so much. I just think it's so cool how, like, just the lore of it. Like, specifically, I love the lore of the Elixni, who are the fallen race. But I I love the Exos. I think they're so cool. They're like this war machine race. And I think the plight of the Traveler, like, constantly moving and lifting up people just or lifting up societies just to get like struck down by the darkness. I think it's so cool. I, I just find what Bungie has done with the lore for destiny is so absolutely awesome. And then like there, once you get through the lore and you don't necessarily like, I there's always more to find with lore, especially if you like, hence why my name is Bife has a job, but um, 
Then you get into the loot grind, and it's just so satisfying finding a new gun and getting, like, this exotic weapon that is literally, like, at times entirely different than any other gun in the game. Like, it it fires, like, uh, Gallahorn, for instance, in Destiny 1 was the thing that everyone was grinding for, trying to get, and it was a rocket launcher that literally, it was just a universal remote. If you had Gallahorn, you could do anything by yourself in that game. And then Bungie figured that out and eventually, like, yeah, and eventually, like, um, sunsetted Gallahorn, which kind of sucked, and then brought it back, but it was worse, and it just wasn't a lot of fun. But, um, yeah, Destiny is, like, this, this, it's, like, my home. It's what I always come back to. Like, every time I want to play a games as a service game, which, like, we've, up till this point, like, until you brought up, like, Hearthstone, uh, Hearthstone for for a moment, we were just talking about, like, these old, like, single-player RPGs, these gigantic RPGs, and then now we are running yeah. into, like, games as a service, which are built specifically to get you to put just a dumbfounding amount of time into it. Like that's that's kind of why yeah. I found it so interesting that you said three hundred hours in Destiny. I was like, man, dude, you're underestimating how much like how much time and effort Bungie itself puts in to like people just staying and playing this one game for the rest of their fucking lives. It's it's pretty outrageous, yeah, but it even lends I, itself to new vocabulary. Yeah. What it, what I mean by that is. Um, so I think now there are, I think since games like Hearthstone and, um, hold on one second, let me see here. Yeah, games like Hearthstone are now being categorized as uh, games that are alive, which is a whole brand new thing I'm starting to see just because of how these games can last a thousand hours like you have experienced with, um, with Destiny. And I'm trying to think what other games are like that. Like Rainbow Six uh, Siege is definitely one of those that is like ever evolving and can and can just keep kind of going forever. I know that there's MMOs that traditionally are kind of like that, but the cool thing about Destiny was it, it kind of combines like the whole MMO feel. It's not an open world, but it kind of combines and gives it that hour count of like constantly, constantly upgrading, not only services, but like gear and it, it, like what exactly the gear does, how the leveling structure works. And to be honest, like that's kind of why I fell off after Destiny 1. I put, I don't know. I. I don't remember. I didn't want to put it on the list because I felt like maybe I didn't really have too much to say about Destiny. But I fell off after one because they kind of restructured everything in a way that I felt didn't really make too much sense. I got it because it became free on everything, but because I never upgraded to like a more pay, you know, a more premium Destiny 2, I was always stuck at light level 750 and did a few heroic um, nightfalls or whatever. But I didn't really get too into it after I beat the campaign. So, but it's interesting to know that you've played it that much. I guess if I ever want to get back into it, I can I can have you hop on and explain things to me. <laughs> yeah, dude, hit me up. I'll play some Destiny with you. But yeah, the Bungie has recently, like uh, after the separation with Activision, has completely changed the way that they started doing things. Where like in Destiny One, it was an expansion yeah. based system where like they went into uh, so they. They built the game and then they're like, okay, in a couple months, we put out the Dark Below. Then in a couple months after that, we put out the House of Wolves. Just like constantly trying to put out these large bits of content over and over again. They put out the uh, the Taken King, Rise of Iron, and then Destiny 2 came out with Destiny 2 then going and they did basically the same thing where they had, um, they had Destiny 2 and then they had, I believe... Uh, the Curse of Osiris DLC and the Warmind DLC. And then they put out the large expansion being Forsaken, which was like the Taken King-esque expansion. And then after that, once uh, they separated with Activision and they became like an actual legitimate independent company, they put out Shadowkeep, yeah. which then moved them into a like a game like a like a battle pass and uh more like seasonal content um like it, it changed the way that they they basically like molded new content for destiny whereas now it's it's all seasons uh with large expansions as well but it's like 
okay, this season you're going to be doing this like one specific activity for the most part. And then in the next season you might do it. But after that, like you, it, it kind of gets sunsetted. So they're just like constantly building new gameplay arenas to try something new while continually advancing the story. It's, it's very interesting. I like this a lot more than I liked before. Uh, it sadly like hurts the like the uh, the kind of like meta because they keep like they introduce new guns and stuff like that and then some guns end up being super overpowered um, especially in PvP but like I, I like that a lot more because there's not a drought of content like when Destiny first came out all the way up until the dark below there was only one raid and it like you you could do the Vault of Blast but that's it but then they put in Crota's End uh, which was like its second raid that came from Dark those. Below. Yeah, there was there were quite a few of them, but yeah, I I adore Destiny and I I love the way like the the direction that Bungie is taking it. I really can't wait to see how it evolves. Yeah, I think um, one of the things that slightly scared me about Destiny Two was the more further away I got from it, the less I started understanding it from an external point of view. The I guess the jargon that I saw my friends talking about online, I just had no clue what it was saying. Destiny 2 has kind of evolved into its own language, which is kind of interesting. <laughs> but uh, I would like to say that uh, we are at 51 minutes and 26 seconds. And that's about where we wrap up this podcast. But here's the cool part. I have just recently decided that this episode is going to get a part two because there are still nine games that you and I have not talked about. And Holy they are, <laughs> without, put, I know, without putting it into categories, the nine games, you can guess who, um, Dragon Age, uh, Spectrobes, Rogue Galaxy, 99 Nights on Xbox 360, Dokkan Battle, Dragon Ball, uh, Infinity Blade 2, RuneScape, Super Street Fighter 4, and Dark Souls as a series. So we still have those nine games to talk about that I think you and I are definitely going to revisit in a future episode. Sweet. That sounds good. I'm I'm glad we got to ramble about some super long hundred hour games for like an hour. <laughs> what'll what'll usually happen is I'll open up my note sheet and before I realize it, I I will go back to Zencaster and it'll say fifty plus minutes. I'm like, I don't know how that happened. That happened it's 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 the fastest way. Like if I ever need to kill time, I'll just podcast with you. Like it's the quickest <laughs> way to do things, apparently. Who knows? It's like it's like a time dilation. But um, I, I also wanted to do kind of a fun thing at the end of the episodes going forward because I don't feel like a lot of people do this. Um, so more recently, uh, I kind of want to put the stats of the show out there. And I just want to update everybody and you on how the show is performing, like on all of our various podcast networks. Um, over the cool. past week, we have, yeah, we have 27 new subscribers. We're getting about 100 listens per day between Industry and Elder Talks Games. And um, our most popular episode to date is the video game crash of 1983 with 1,700 listens, 900 of those belonging to Spotify, which is by far our most popular network. Damn, that's pretty exciting. So we are we are growing, and I, I think, I don't know exactly why. I have no reason that we're growing, but we are growing slightly. So a round of applause to us. Um, I think it's because, I think, honestly, I think it's because there's, a, there's two voices now. I think anybody that listened to the show prior maybe was a little bored because it was just me talking. But I think now that there's two voices, I think that helps out the show substantially so uh thanks again for being my co-host i really do appreciate that yeah absolutely solo podcasting is so hard like I, honestly i feel like you you sadly like not you but just doing solo podcasting and if you once you get off script it just becomes like a ramble session you just basically like talk to yourself and talk yourself into a hole for like however long the rest of the time you have is it's it's very sad, plus, let alone the physical aspect of it, where you yourself are talking for like an yeah. hour straight is really uncomfortable. But yeah, I love doing this podcast with be. you. I'm glad, man. Um, I actually had to, I put the pause on Neon Talk just because the game isn't out yet and there's not enough news circulating around the game right now. There's a lot of speculation, so I am going to pick that up back when the game comes out. 
did you say you had an interest in get in in getting that game? Oh, Cyberpunk? Yeah, dude. I'm I'm super stoked. I'm gonna get it on PC. I'm I'm freaking Ooh, I'm so excited for it, dude. I love that aesthetic Perfect. so much and I think it's so awesome. Ah, I'm so excited. If I wasn't if I wasn't podcasting for the game, I would probably wait a year or two to get it, but because I do podcast around <laughs> the game, I'm probably gonna get it on day one. And in that case, we should do like a retrospective, maybe like after a week, and just kind of be like, this is what I liked about the game. This is what I didn't like about the game so far. Pretty cool. But anyway. Yeah. Yeah, that'd be right, pretty let's cool. See. I think I think I think that just about wraps this show up. Um, let me see here. Let's see. So just to kind of plug everything um, on Twitter and Instagram, we are at Eldar Talks Games, which I might brand to like more ETG to kind of be more inclusive to like you and anybody else that kind of maybe wants to help out with the show. But we'll see. Um, each month we bring you these stories from the realm of video games. Uh, next month, we are probably going to do the part two to this episode, but we're not 100% sure yet on whether or not this episode will be kicked forward a month, or if we will in fact do it next month. Um, besides that, I think that's it. Uh, Mr. Hyde, do you have any closing sentiments or words that you want to kind of just throw out there or no? Um, just kind of the obvious, I guess. Uh, please check out my other podcasts. Uh, you can follow my Indie yes. Games podcast at IndiePod on Twitter. And it's just IndiePod and Indie Games podcast on all podcasting services. Uh, we're having a lot of like really cool guests come on. Uh, last week, we had Cam Hawkins. Uh, this upcoming week, I believe we're having Mor uh, Morgan Shaver from uh, Indie Obscura come on. Um, and it's it's a lot of fun. And my co-host Josh is doing a lot of like really cool independent developer interviews, which I might also reach out to some indie devs and see if I can get some interviews on some games that I love. Um, you can also check out my My Hero Academia podcast at Go Beyond Pod on Twitter and Go Beyond a My Hero Academia podcast on all podcasting services as well. Uh, that's myself and Chris Penwell. We basically like are doing a rewatch podcast uh, for My Hero Academia where every week, we watch an episode of My Hero and we give you like the differences between the anime and the manga, uh, fan theories, trivia, and like we typically get super into the weeds when it comes to characters and settings and story moments. So um, that's that's actually starting to like catch some steam, gaining more followers on Twitter and people are like listening to it, which is really awesome. But yeah, uh, check those out. That would be amazing. And I just wanted to say like, Thanks so much for having me on this podcast. It's kind of like, it's it's a nice thing that I get to do every month. I get to talk to my friend about just random topics in, in gaming history and in video games. Like, I've kind of like shoehorned myself into a specific type of video game podcasting. So it's, it's kind of the exact opposite where this is like far more eclectic. Just once a month, I get to just talk about literally anything instead of it just being one specific Gene, like genus, I guess. I don't know. I love indie games, though, so it's not yeah. a big deal. But yeah, thank you so much for having me on. You're welcome, man. I I don't know exactly how it happened, but I I don't know, man. I saw your chops on Twitter, and I was like, yeah, you know, I'm really glad you reached out, and I think it's really cool. It's very low pressure, just once a month, super fun. Nobody gets exhausted about you know having to hop on every like couple days. It's just kind of a side project, and I hope. Um, as we as we keep doing this and as we keep you know just kind of rambling about games we start to pick up more people and it becomes something that you know is you know just kind of a part of our lives and i don't know i'm really excited about it man so i guess uh yeah with that being said this concludes episode uh what episode is this i'm not even 100 percent sure um <laughs> i think it's episode nine of the show also it's a strong reminder to anyone out there episode 11 of um Go Beyond is out. And th that was also a great reminder for me to probably go check this out while I'm editing this show right after. And I think with that, um, we're going to go ahead and close the show. Thank you guys so much for listening. Welcome to the club. And we will see you next time. Bye.